Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Glad you're with us for our number two from 6th and Peabody with old Smoky Moonshine. Yeehaw, beer. A lot of football discussion today. Derrick Henry undergoing uh, foot surgery tomorrow. The Titans have signed Adrian Peterson. They will elevate him to their active roster later this week. A lot to get to coming up in the Tennessee Power Hour. And in 20 minutes, David Chow. Dr. Chow of Pro Football Doc at Pro Football Doc and of Outkick.com. He will join us to go through the details of the history of this fracture in the foot on the outside of Henry's right foot. And we will get uh, details from Pro Football Doc on exactly recovery time, how a, a, a fracture like this happens, uh, the pain involved with this. Uh, the healing process, all of it. That's all straight ahead in 20 minutes as we uh, get the uh, expert analysis and opinion of Dr. David Chow. Again, that is at 3.20 Central Time. Uh, Headlines uh, across college football. Michigan State beats Michigan in a classic game. A lot of fun, and the Spartans have beaten the Wolverines now twice uh, over the last 12 months. Uh, what, What a performance Uh, that we're seeing by Michigan State that remains unbeaten. So does Georgia. And uh, the the top 25, the AP top 25, looks a a lot different than it did up top than compared to where we were a week ago. Ole Miss loses to Auburn. Auburn now 6-2. And and you can see the the new top 15. Ole Miss falls out. Uh, They are now down to 15 overall. And uh, beyond that, Georgia, number one. Cincinnati, number two. And Ohio State continues to win and win big. If you're Michigan and you've got Cade McNamara playing terrifically well, finally you're, 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 you've, got, you've got it, right? What are you doing? I, I, I mean, I, this is where I can't stand the, the recruiting element of this whole thing. You've got to, to tantalize your, your next guy. You've got to satisfy him. And so you put in McCarthy for a little bit and then he loses a crucial fumble for you that's a big costly you got to take care of now now give that guy snaps some other time you can't put him in against Michigan State and have him have him cost you huge I think that game went the worst possible way for Jim Harbaugh I, I don't think there's anything better or anything worse for them than building a 16 point lead and then giving it up having that lead in the second half and losing the way they did. And how about the job Mel Tucker is doing? We talked about the ramifications if they went over in this stretch with Penn State and Michigan and Ohio State and all the good teams in the Big Ten East on the schedule. To come from behind and win that game. And Kenneth Walker III is squarely in the Heisman discussion. He was terrific. There is no doubt about it. That guy was electric and he has been all year. But for Mel Tucker to make the decision... Taking over for Mark D'Antonio, which was a very smash-mouth, physical style, run the ball, to a much more balanced attack. And doing what he's done on, on offense for a defensive guy, 
has been remarkable. And, and Michigan State, we're going to have the first playoff rankings come out tomorrow. Uh, you know, th- Are they going to be in that top four? Yes, yes, they will be. Will they be number two? Will they be ahead of Cincinnati in that ranking? That's going to be something to watch, but they've done a great job, and, and that was that is a, a one of the upsets that you got right, Hutton, was uh, Michigan State picking that. Not, your, just, not, not as bad as your NFL upset predictions were your college upset predictions, but that was an instant classic of a game. Michigan Harbaugh State have three to get spot. the kid snaps in order no. to... to have you seen? I mean, look what they did. Michigan was up in this game. They gained 150 more total yards offensively. They through the air. Michigan had over 104. Uh, excuse me, over 400 yards passing. Michigan State can't throw it. I mean, they just couldn't put this game away because of Kenneth Walker. Kenneth Walker scored five touchdowns. Stop a guy. Yeah, but I think it's crazy to. to uh, I'm told by Michigan State fan friend who's at the game. Uh, uh, you know, well, Harbaugh's got to please the kid, you know, for the future, so that he he doesn't doesn't want to leave. I can't imagine that factors into a rivalry game for you that you've got a chance to win. Well, he better win one of these games down the stretch, or that future will be for another Michigan head coach. Yeah, whoever the quarterback is, because even with the undefeated start, he can't lose out to Penn State, Ohio State, and look bad doing so. And I'll, I'll go back to it. I think this was the worst possible way it could have gone down for Harbaugh because now the old Harbaugh as a choker isn't going to win the big game comes back into it. Instead of them, it, it, it was... Walker. It was a bad look for Harbaugh in Michigan, but it, it was a great game. They had no answer for Kenneth Walker. He was ter- He had a 58-yard touchdown run. Uh, he had the 23-yard touchdown run. Those are signature moments that we will see on highlight reels as he makes his candidacy to win the Heisman Trophy. Matt Corral's banged up at Ole Miss. Ole Miss falls to 15 overall. Meanwhile, Michigan State's up to five. Uh, Your top four, Georgia, Cincinnati, Alabama, and Oklahoma in your top four. Oklahoma continues to win as well. We think that's the four tomorrow? I think Michigan State will be in it. I think Michigan State's going to be in the four. Um, I don't think that uh, Oklahoma does not need to be above Cincinnati. Uh, Does not need to be above Michigan State. Uh, if you look at, I mean, it's funny to watch the uh, all the talking heads about, boy, does Cincinnati drop because they only beat Tulane by three scores and they were down in the third. They were down for two minutes of that game and they won going away. Remember what Oklahoma looked like against Tulane? Where Tulane's getting onside kicks, almost win the game late in the game against Oklahoma? Uh, I, I, I think that there's some some flawed logic being applied to Cincinnati versus uh, versus Oklahoma. I'm hearing a lot of talk about Oklahoma not looking great up until last week. So, I mean, I, and I made the case on outkick the tailgate. We uh, Alabama has a loss. They're going to be in the top four. No, I agree. And they should be. But here's the, the strange thing about Alabama is no one would argue that, I don't think anyone would argue that they're the second best team in the country right now. There's a lot of people who would just go ahead and say that. There's, they still look like the second best team. They're going to have possibly only one top 25 win at the season's end. Well, they face 7-1 and one Baylor. When do they... Is that, I'm talking about Alabama. Oh, Alabama. So Alabama, well, and they've got Auburn now. I know we're going to talk about this. Auburn yeah. controls their own destiny in the SEC West. Yep. They're 6-2. They're and two. Uh, They go from their best win being the uh, stealing the victory out of death against Georgia State, and then their best performance being a loss to Penn State to... Winning on the road against, uh, you know, beating LSU, beating Arkansas on the road, coming back home and, and beating Ole Miss. So Auburn's a team on the rise. Well, Paul, if Oklahoma wins out, they're going to be in it. 
Sure. I mean, for for the obvious reasons, Caleb Williams throws for again. I mean, he's he's been fantastic. Over four hundred yards this past week. They had two receivers over a hundred yards receiving. Um, and again, they get seventy-one Baylor in two weeks. Well, let me say this also that, about Ohio State. That flips it. Ohio State looks that. like Ohio State that we expected at the start of the season. Now that Kerry Combs is no longer calling defensive plays. Yes, they were not overly impressive against Penn State, but it's not shocking that you know it was close in the second half. They still get the job done. Here's the problem I have: Oregon beat Ohio State on the road, and Oregon is going to be behind Ohio State. They're behind them in this in this ranking right now. They're going to be behind them. They have one loss to Stanford. They beat Ohio State head to head. Oregon is in trouble because now that uh, Arizona State lost, and I'm, I'm Washington State, I think beat Arizona State this weekend. There's not another team in the Pac-12. Every team's got at least three losses outside of Oregon. That is going to kill them because their strength of schedule is going to be bad, even though they possess a win in Columbus. And that was without Thibodeau. That was without four or five of their best players. They go on the road and do that. Fresno State's a team that's probably going to be in the top 25 of this ranking. Oregon beat them to open the season barely. And everyone thought, well, Oregon's in trouble. That looks like maybe their best win. That's going to be better than any Pac-12 win, possibly, is the win over Fresno State at the Second end of the season. Second best win. That's a problem. Uh, rounding out the, the top 15, Oklahoma State, Auburn, Texas A&M, Baylor, and Ole Miss. So uh, Ole Miss falls to 15. Uh, Chad, you mentioned uh, Oregon in, in the mix at number seven, uh, but the loss to Stanford. You know, there's so many equations here. If you just want to go with the unbeatens, Oklahoma remains there. Uh, so if you want to talk about, oh, it, we're going to put Alabama in. They lost to Texas A&M. Oklahoma, or excuse me, Ohio State loses to Oregon. Oregon loses to Stanford. I mean, all these teams have a loss, and here's Oklahoma at 8-0 continuing to win and And now making the decision on the quarterback that's going to get them to the college football playoff but even with that quarterback they look terrible against kansas for the majority of the game and end up winning and and you're right they're they're gonna be there no one's arguing that they're not they're gonna be there i just if i'm looking at undefeated teams and how they've looked oklahoma's not high on my list of teams that look the part right now but they're undefeated so they'll yes if that continues they'll be there here's the other problem Look at their schedule. They've got Bedlam to end the season. That's mm-hmm. going to be a tough contest. Yeah, they've got two huge games. They've also got Iowa State, and Iowa State was playing for a spot in the Big 12 championship, and they go to Morgantown and lose to a bad West Virginia team this weekend. What does Iowa State have to play for other than being the spoiler? And you got to start asking a lot of questions about Matt Campbell now and say, it was all building to this year. They were a top 10 team to start this season with a senior-led group. I don't know that it's going to get any better in Iowa State. So if one of these programs come calling, of all the ones that are open now, add TCU to that mix. Gary Patterson, after 21 years. It sounds like Sonny Dykes is their top choice. And it's going to be Texas Tech's top choice, too. I think Sonny Dykes is a Texas Tech alum. So you've got both those programs going after him. You've got Trailer, the UT San Antonio coach, that's going to be in the mix of those jobs, too. But my point being, a job like TCU is the type of job that has so much old oil money that goes into that program with what they did for Gary Patterson for years to not take other jobs, there could be some surprise names that will leave a Power 5 job to go to TCU. But if Oklahoma wins out here, then they will be impressive. 
right? I mean, if they win at Baylor, beat Iowa State, and, and an beat Oklahoma will State, be, no, be an unbeaten right Oklahoma will be in the college football but playoff. We, we feel like they would lose one of these based on how they've not played. I don't there. know. I mean, they continue to find ways to win. So I'm not saying they're going to lose. I'm just not every unbeaten resume or unbeaten Ohio State, for instance. Ohio State, since the Oregon game, has looked very impressive. Yeah, they're the number one offense in the country. They they pass the the quote. You're going to hear a lot about this. I the guess. eye test. Ohio State passes it. Oklahoma can start to pass it now that Caleb Williams is the quarterback, and I think they will. They're only going to get better with him at quarterback. But Iowa State with that loss, that is not going to be as good of a win. And I think Oklahoma will beat them. Oklahoma State could be sitting there with one loss. That would be a great win to end the season. So they're going to be there if they go unbeaten. There's no doubt about it. Um, I, I, I'd be interested to see what happens to an Oklahoma team in a playoff game if they run into Ohio State, let's say, if that's a 2-3 matchup. I think from what I've seen from both teams right now, I think Ohio State wins big. I I mean, Oklahoma could beat Penn State. I think they could hang with Ohio State. Caleb Williams is impressive. It is a different level watching him throw the football and how he is able to make the off-schedule throws. He made one touchdown pass of his six against Texas Tech that I don't know how he fit the football into the 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 window and the target that he found. Um, it was six touchdowns, four hundred yards passing. Uh, he's got multiple receivers. It's the Oklahoma defense that worries me. Where's he in the Heisman conversation? No, well, he's not. He's, he's only they played started Rattler. Yeah, they started yeah, Swiss Rattler that year. Yeah, he's only played for three. He's games? been the starter for two weeks. He came in uh, the week of October 9th. We were in no, College Station, so he came into the Texas oh, then, game October and then 9th. Kansas was his first start? Yep. I think they had a week off. I between. thought it was a little bit earlier than that. No, he hasn't been around. Rattler long costing him a Heisman? Uh, well, Rattler was a Heisman frontrunner to begin the season. In. Didn't uh, last long. Not just a hopeful, the, the odds-on favorite. Uh, Pitt losing to Miami also uh, devastating for the Panthers. 38-34. Miami put up all their offense, except for a touchdown, put up all their offense in the, in the first half. So... And every, then, and then Pitt every stole year, him back. Every year. Well, and the, uh, Kenny Pickett broke a school record. Uh, 519 yards. 519 passing yards. He also had two interceptions, two bad interceptions. Um, the AD at, at Miami flat out said, you want to talk about putting it on record, said Manny Diaz knows he needs to win some games. Basically, you better do well down the stretch or we're going to find a new coach. What has he done since then? He's won two. He's beaten two ranked opponents since that statement went down. And uh, th- that was, uh, they beat NC State and they beat Pittsburgh the last two weeks, both top 25 opponents at the time. I heard you, boss. Pittsburgh always has uh, sort of an inexplicable loss or two on their schedule every year. They've already lost to Western Michigan. I'd put this one in the ranks of those games also. After beating Clemson. I don't if think that, that would have been no, inexplicable, but yeah. yeah uh, it would have no, been nice. I mean, Pittsburgh, though, is still in the driver's seat to win that division in the ACC, but not, not nice win for Miami. Also intrigued to see what happens with Gary Patterson. You know, the, the steps down, asked to resign, but asked to stay on for the remainder of the season and declined. Um, but what a job he's done at TCU. I mean, his overall body of work has to make him attractive to a certain kind of program. Eight of his first 11 years as the head coach, they won 10 or more games. Second longest tenured coach only to Ference at Iowa. Th- that not that remarkable, though? Yeah. Eight of the first 11 years... They won well, 10 games. He's done this in three conferences. Finished. Sorry, four conferences. Four. He had one season as the interim coach in the WAC, moved to Conference USA, moved up to Mountain West, then moved up to Big 12. 
So he's been in four different conferences Steady at TCU. Moves. What kind of place does he wind up? He's 61 years old. Maybe he doesn't That's, wind up? The trend doesn't no, seem to be up. hiring the old somewhere. coach, but he he's going to have an opportunity. I mean, I'll, I'll see your 61, and I'll point to Herm Edwards and Mac Brown, Brown and say, yes, you can go win with, with Gary Patterson. Um, I, I would absolutely include him in coaching searches as some of these – some of these coaches begin to uh, bolt for "quote unquote" bigger opportunities. Look, he's going to get a job, but your statement right there, Hutton, plays a lot better in 2020 because Herm Edwards is losing to Washington State and under a major NCAA investigation. That's fine. Where they're about to get hammered, and Mac Brown. Everyone is, laughed at Mac, that hire. Mac Brown is also on the podium saying, "You everyone, guys screwed it up because we're not very good." At both those everyone hires. laughed at those hires, and They've they worked out well. okay. Body of work has been good uh, for both. Patterson, by the way. Um, when you look at what they've done this year, I mean, uh, 2020 also looks better for Gary Patterson. Um, when you look at where they rank in their conference, only Kansas is worse. Yeah, they've had three straight losing seasons. Only Kansas is worse. But, but They're going to do better? I mean, I know you said the oil money and everything. They've got certainly ways well, to I mean, lure people. It, it, what, what happened was, you know, that they want a little bit more humility from Gary Patterson when they went to him, the AD and president said, well, what's your plan to fix this? And I think his, his plan was, I'm going to keep doing what I've done for 21 years and hire who mm-hmm. I want and keep people here. And they said, all right, that's not good enough. You want to coach the rest of the year, then we're going to fire. And he said, no, I, I can be done now. And he's out. Well, the, timing, the timing is also right for him to be done. His fights are breaking out on his sideline with uh, teams on, on his sideline. They're trying to break up stuff on the game. I mean, it was... I mean, if you watched it, it's not anything worth uh, preserving. Yeah, I mean, for another month. I mean, what's the point? Like, you you want him to go out? And you want it? You you would want him to finish out the season so ten years from now you can have a homecoming for Patterson at TCU. I've I've got one would for you, you for Patterson. Ten years. A possibility. If you're Texas Tech, would you look at him? You just uh, <laughs> if you can't get Dykes, you go get him. If Dykes goes to TCU, you go. You know what? I'm going to go to a guy who's won for 21 years. Yeah. And won a lot in this conference, and you well, get the you. And they, I know they fired him, but you get the rivals coach. It would be a very, at a, to a lesser degree, uh, South Carolina hiring Will Muschamp after he gets fired at Florida type scenario. But that's someone. I mean, sixty one. I, I agree with you guys. I think he's going to get an opportunity. I don't know that there's a lot of programs dying to hire someone at sixty one. But if I'm Texas Tech and I swing and miss on the on the big hit, which would be. Sonny Dykes, if they go all in for him, I think Gary Patterson could be a nice consolation prize for Texas Tech. Coming up, that there is no second option or consolation for losing Derrick Henry. Uh, and Henry's going to have surgery on his foot tomorrow morning. What does that mean for the rehab process? What does that mean for the Titans and when they could potentially get him back for the position that he plays? Can it be this season? And how soon? Pro Football Doc, Dr. David Chow, joins us next from Outkick.com and ProFootballDoc.com to give us the latest on this injury and what it means for the running back position in 2021. This is Outkick 360. The big news in the NFL today after week eight is Derrick Henry's injury. And the timeline for a possible return, if he could make one, with the Jones fracture in his right foot. Welcome back. Outkick 360 rolls on from Nashville. Outkick 360 from our studios. Sixth and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. 
And uh, from the Outkick Network, profootballdoc.com, Dr. David Chow joins us. Doctor, great to have you back on. Hope you're doing well, and uh, thanks for the insight today. Oh, no problem. Actually, uh, I'm. Uh, we, my wife just booked a trip for us to go to Nashville with some of her friends for somebody's birthday or something in February. So maybe I'll see you guys then. Awesome. Absolutely. Please, please let us know. We look forward to that. Hey, uh, tell us what. Tell us what is what causes a Jones fracture. Uh, what is a what's a timeline for return typically on this? Because we see it across sports. But we don't know exactly what it is when we read it. What what is this foot injury? A Jones fracture is a fifth metatarsal, so on the outside of your foot, and it's his right foot, uh, and it's at the base, and it's usually considered a stress fracture or overuse fracture. Now, I don't say that as being critical of the Titans coaching and how they've used him. It's just that, you know, it's whether it's training your size, your body, and the workload, and whatever you're doing, cleats sometimes. And it is a natural area where the blood flow is not as strong and such more prone to fracture. And when it does, often you can't see it on x-ray. Heck, he uh, finished the game, right? 28 carries, 68 yards. Not nearly as productive as normal. However, uh, when it happens, it's slow to heal. Thus, surgery is what's best. The typical timeline is eight weeks but i think for henry it will be a little bit longer because of the position that he plays or the wear and tear and how much he's used or for some other reason well certainly not because he's not a beast right the guy's amazing physical specimen but maybe because he is this fracture jones fracture almost could be called a wide receiver fracture it's most common in wide receivers you know, Julio Jones, uh, you know, uh, uh, Julian Edelman. There's about a dozen, two dozen in the last couple of years that have had that. And Derrick Henry is no wide receiver. He runs the ball 30 times a game. No wide receiver gets 30 targets in a game. And he carries 245 plus pounds, right? And, And makes all these cuts. And I think that's why it will be harder for Derrick Henry to come back. I would take the over eight weeks on a return. And remember, return from any injury is not like a light switch. Recovery is not a light switch. It's not like eight weeks and he's 100% and seven weeks and six days he can't play. I mean, at eight weeks, he might do something. At 10 weeks, a little bit more. For him to be Derrick Henry again, you love that to be the playoffs, which is what, 11 weeks away, assuming Tennessee makes it. I would I would book that right now if you said full go Derrick Henry at 11 weeks, his usual self. That's a win right there. So, uh, you know, I think it's a good thing that you guys brought in Adrian Peterson. I mean, uh, and uh, he's older, but you're only asking him to play half a season. You mentioned Julian Edelman. Is Julian Edelman the example on the extreme end of how quickly you can get back from this injury? Well, you can get back early. I mean, uh, when I was playing, and I can say this because I've had permission, Marcellus Wiley had one in the preseason, and uh, he missed uh, one game and uh, played and uh, made the Pro Bowl that year, but as an edge rusher and whatever. But I think he was playing through some soreness and pain. Six weeks is really pushing it. I don't see them pushing it that hard for uh uh, you know, uh, uh, Derrick Henry, especially, and even then when Julian Edelman did come back, right, you adjust the routes and the number of targets and the number of snaps. That's not Derrick Henry. I mean, it's Derrick Henry's is, is your bell cow. So 
In terms of recurrence with an injury like this and, and mentally getting back and feeling confident after recovering from this injury, is this a very difficult one to recover from? Let's say it's 10 weeks. Let's say it's 12. Whatever the time frame, when Derrick Henry gets back, when you've seen this injury, doctor, is this one that's difficult to mentally get past and also physically to come back from? Well, it's not a hard one to physically come back from if you give it enough time. And that's the issue, right? I mean, the, the, the clock is ticking on the season. And so if you're rushing back, it is absolutely harder, especially a bigger guy like him, et cetera. If you look at other news today in different sports, uh, Zion Williamson, I said, you know, that fifth metatarsal Jones fracture is going to take longer because he basically is a football player. He's not slight, uh, you know, uh, uh, of build, et cetera, carries a lot of weight. And there's some of that with Derrick Henry here. So the recovery is reliable if you give it enough time to heal, but time is not on Derrick Henry's side. And once it does heal, it heals fairly well. And not to throw a monkey wrench in plans, but there is a higher risk of the other side because you're sort of built similarly, right? Does this automatically entail the insertion of a screw? Does that screw then stay in the foot or does it come out after things are healed? And we've heard some some disarming stories about guys being able to feel that screw. Who was it, Hutton, that said he... I said earlier it was Ahmad Bradshaw yeah, who, felt, who said that. And I think they had to go back in for another procedure. He felt it bouncing around in there almost. Well, it shouldn't bounce around, and there are different types of screws, headless screws that you won't feel. Typically, it's left-in uh, kind of situation. And uh, in an NFL player, it is automatic to get a screw. And that's why when I heard about it, surgery was was the answer. Uh, in mere mortals and you know, other people like, you know, I, if it happened to me, first of all, it wouldn't happen because I wouldn't overuse my foot that much and run around and do that much. But if it did, you could stay on crutches or a cast and, and wait it out if you wanted to. But if I had that fracture, like I said, I probably wouldn't because I'm not that active. I would have the screw put in because you can start to put weight on it earlier. Is there anything, uh, you're talking about the propensity to have it on the other side, anything preventative a, a, a pro athlete can do to help avoid that second one? Well, there are some potential things from uh, shoe wear, cleat wear to orthotics, you checking your alignment, et cetera. But it's what we call a watershed area where there's less blood flow. Uh, I'm sure next time around, he'll watch his training regimens and, and you know don't power through soreness in that area. Be, be careful of that. So there are some things you can do to mitigate that. But, you know, statistically, when one player, a player has had it on one side, they're at a higher chance of having it on the other side than a poor player who's never had the injury before. Dr. David Chow with us on Outkick 360 Pro Football Doc is the site. Um, help us here with the with the recovery process. I know Kobe Bryant, for instance, made famous this, I don't know, it was a, a treadmill that had compressed air that would allow him to run and keep his cardio up with only putting like 50 pounds of weight on his foot or ankle. What's out there and available for Henry and how quickly could he actually get back running? And I'm assuming this is both things that could be placed in water or outside of it. But I know Kobe's was outside. It was like a, a compressed air that would keep him afloat for more or less a, a, a term to use. 
Yeah, and that's common. I think every team has one of those in addition to that. Most teams have a, a treadmill that's underwater kind of thing. Uh, so you're taking off body weight. Uh, it looks like a Trojan horse, right? It's an air-filled thing, at, uh, you know, uh, and where you can take off uh, body weight. And, uh, you know, uh, recently uh, uh, Cam Akers was seen jogging with 80% body weight on that similar device and said to be doing well, et cetera. And so there are ways to stay in shape and uh, to kind of keep going a little bit, but you know, because it is the foot, there's only so much that you can do. And this is why I say, even when he returns, there's going to be a little bit of ramp up time for him. When you hear about an injury like this doctor and, and you see the the workload for Derrick Henry, and you said earlier, you're not blaming the Titans for this or, or any of that, but you see this injury, you know, the amount of carries, you know the tread on the tires the last couple of years. Does your mind immediately go to this is step one in the demise of this player with that workload or with Derrick Henry and what you've seen from him and how he's been able to remarkably stay injury free? Do you think this is something he can recover from and be just as good? I think this is something that he can recover from and be just as good. Of course, the caveat for the other side. But with that being said, Derek human is absolutely superhuman, right? He's a unicorn out there and how fast he is and how big he is and how strong he is and how many touches and carries he gets. But let's not forget, he still is human. And, you know, uh, there's a component of luck and other things involved. I mean, think of it this way, the, the more ski, more days you ski, the more ski runs you take and the harder the ski runs, the more likely you are to tear your ACL, the more carries you take, the more hits you take. And, you know, there is that component. The more you drive, the more likely you're to be in a car accident, right? I mean, uh, so there is some human component to all of this. Mike Vrabel said that they had no cause to believe he had anything that he could make worse during the course of the game. They discussed it with their medical people. They discussed it with Henry before putting him back in. You think that's probably, I mean, does that sound logical to you or is there some pain or some diagnosis that they should have been able to, to sense what was there and that maybe they could, is there possibility they made it worse over the course of this game? Uh, I don't know that they really made it worse. Once you get the stress fracture, you're probably headed for this. Look, uh, was it ideal that he played through? I mean, he certainly didn't look like himself, right? That's not the normal Derrick Henry we, we see, especially in the second half. But, you know, a lot of these stress fractures don't even show up on x-ray. I don't know that they took one in game or not, maybe at yeah, halftime. We don't, know. we don't know. But they don't even show up. And, uh, you know, it was an MRI from this morning that detected it, and they're down the road for this. So it's hard. It's easy to look back and tell a coach you should have gone for it there or not gone for it there or kicked the field goal there. It's easy to look back and say, well, you should have just pulled them knowing what you know now. But I don't have any reason to criticize Rabel, the coaching staff, or the medical staff at all. I don't know the, the stats and numbers and figures for injuries that take place on turf, especially foot and ankle injuries, but I'm assuming it's pretty lengthy uh, and, and the number's pretty high. And I also recall that Lucas Oil Stadium was adjusting their turf a couple of years ago. Uh, because of injuries that were taking place there. Any coincidence that this would have taken place indoors on turf as, as opposed to outside on grass? Yeah, but, you know, when these things happen, there is potential, quote, the game, that the straw that breaks the camel's back, right? Now, whether, now, let's say he was on grass and he didn't have it happen this week. Let's say the turf had some component to it. Well, he's going to play another game on turf coming up, and it's not going to be extended rest. And, you know, before we start, and this is why, look, 
I know Coach Rabel. I respect Coach Rabel. Uh, you know, heck, he was a Pro Bowl player when I was a doc at the uh, at the Pro Bowl once, and I still he probably won't remember. He actually gave me one of his Patriots T-shirts when he was done for the week. So I like Coach Rabel. That T-shirt bought me off, but I don't think it's his fault or the team's fault that they run him so much. You got to understand. Okay, yeah. he's doing thirty carries. But you think that's all he's doing in the week? You think that's all he does in the offseason? I mean, he does a lot more training reps to stay in shape and get in shape than he does carry the ball. So it's a little bit unfair to say, well, if you only carried him, have him run the ball 22 times a game, he wouldn't have this. I don't think it's that simple. So you do, this is not, when we see season ending injury that came out this morning, you're saying there is a high probability we see him back but by January. Well, you know, I think by January he could be back. Yes. But is it 30 carry Derrick Henry? Right. I see what you're saying. Speed yeah. and dominance, right? I mean, yes, I do think he could be back this season. But what type of Derrick Henry can be back is the question. So there is a glimmer of hope that it's not season ending and, and he could be back. But I think it's unrealistic to see him back boom at eight weeks uh, with the last couple games of the season with 10 weeks left, nine games to play, and have him be his usual dominant self immediately. One non-Derrick Henry injury question for you, doctor, from me. Hamstring injuries. Julio Jones has one. A.J. Brown had one. Seems to be happening a lot with, with Titans receivers. Are these injuries completely preventable? Or are there some hamstring tears that you cannot avoid? Well, if they're recurrent and they're in the same spot and you're tight and you didn't do the prehab in the offseason, whatever, there are some that are preventable, but I, I just don't see that. And one of the things that does happen, the more explosive the athlete and quite honestly, the more hamstring muscle that they have and A.J. Brown and Julio Jones are massive, right? Um, the more likely it, it is because they are, they've got a lot of muscle. They react quickly. They're fast twitch. They've both been good at trying to play through, but you know, we kind of expected Julio to have the step back in the sense that when you don't finish a game, then you end up missing at least the next to try and get right. But, uh, but they'll be back. I don't think they're doing anything wrong. Um, things happen. And, and I would tell you, wide receivers like A.J. Brown and Julio Jones are probably more at risk even if they do everything in their power because of the nature of the position and their size. That prehab you're talking about, is, is uh, I'm, I'm imagining this stuff guys need to be doing on their own when they're away from the team in this shortened um, OTA cycle, et cetera. Well, I'm quite positive uh, A.J. Brown and Julio Jones are doing it. I mean, it's fairly routine to do some of the stretching and, and plyometrics, et cetera. Um, you know, and you're, you're right. You can't just show up at training camp and start doing them and expect it to be effective. It has to be a year-long and seasons-long process. Dr. David Chow, Pro Football Doc. It's where you can find him on Twitter and the site and uh, with OutKick, our injury analyst. Doctor, thank you for the time today. We will certainly be reaching out in the future. No, no question. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. All thank right. you so much. Pro football doc there, Dr. David Chow. Not going to do better uh, than that. Yeah, and it, well, that's, that's great news for a fan base that is uh, in a, a, a bit of panic mode. I think it's, it's a great decision to bring in Adrian Peterson because you're not having to trade away a pick in order to get somebody that can be serviceable for you. 
I'm not going to set any lofty expectations here because no one's replacing what Derrick Henry meant to this offense. But can you pair Adrian Peterson with one of their other backs? Uh, Deontay Foreman, for instance, who's available. I know they worked him out last week. Um, is someone that they spent time he with last preseason. Last um, could they bring him in? He was with Atlanta, and Atlanta has cut him. And there's no no coincidence that he signed with Arthur Smith because Arthur Smith saw him here last year. That, that's just an example. Can you pair something together to get some version of the production you were getting in the in the run game, but also give you time to mold an offense without Henry? And that's what I'm intrigued to see. No matter who you replace him with, this offense is going to look vastly different now. Well, it, it is, and they have to come up with that plan and the right complement of players, whether it be a, a new, new running back, we're going to see more of that, new receiver, however they go about it. Uh, also, I, I, my takeaway from that interview, very encouraging about the future of Derrick Henry once he recovers from this, that there's not going to be a huge lasting impact, not as optimistic about eight to ten weeks out. He said this is not something that he sees him coming back from in eight weeks, which leads me to believe he's not going to be playing in a, in a playoff game for the Titans. Here's the if other this thing. is more of a 12-week thing, the way he said, we've seen the last of well, Derrick Henry this season. I think he could play in the playoff game and everybody will get all excited, but what he is in the playoff game is an 11-carry back who, you know, the odds of him breaking away and steamrolling people like the guy we're familiar with are probably not high uh they're still higher than any version yes. of any back you're going to put back there on 30 carries uh, agree with that um the other thing and and there are a lot of tentacles to this which will build on all week long hutton has remarkable uh play action i keep meaning to ask you where you get your play action numbers this is going to have a big bearing on the play action game you think i'm handing that out to you <laughs> i'm <laughs> um, saving it for this show yeah <laughs> play action uh game is crucial to ryan Tannehill's success and Ryan Tannehill is uh, more of a key, as we've said earlier in this show, than it's ever been now. It's on his shoulders first and foremost. And people are not going to bite. No. Good linebackers are not going to bite on Adrian Peterson or Makai Sargent anywhere near the rate. <laughs> that, thank you. That was my punchline. Anywhere Mackay. near the rate that they bite on Derrick Henry. So not only is the running game changing, but the passing game is changing. And Ryan Tannehill as a drop-back passer is nowhere near the guy he is as a player. No actually. doubt. No doubt. He, he's also worse this year butter. in that department than last year. But he's it, not this past week, but the prior week. He had gotten his better best, with A.J. Brown back. He had his yeah. second-best play-action day. If you even take last year's stats and combine them with this year's stats, it was his second-best day uh, in play-action numbers over the last two seasons. So we have seen it this year, and it was starting to come together, and now, now the you don't have Henry off. in the backfield. Coming up, we give you uh, some standing ovations from the NFL weekend, some players maybe not getting a ton of attention that had some standout performances. Also, the World Series. Oh. Chad's Braves. Yes, Chad's Braves. Off. He says, oh, but they, they no, have a 3-2 a little, series hey, lead hey, with two hey, games hey. to all, play. All in all, a very good weekend for my Braves, winning two out of three. Yeah, Braves details next on OutKick 360. Standing ovation this week to the Philadelphia Eagles rushing attack, running all over Detroit, but doing it without Miles Sanders. This is Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. Boston Scott and Jordan Howard combined for 117 yards and four touchdowns on just 24 carries. 
against the Detroit Lions and put up that type of of uh, numbers and stats. Yesterday. That's completely unforeseen. Yeah, uh, we touched on it earlier. Philadelphia looked like a team that had no interest in running by running backs. But it is the Lions. Yeah, <laughs> was the opponent. So said, hey, let's try this I out. We'll see that- if it works against the Lions. Then maybe we'll. We'll try it. Maybe against the NFC East. I don't know if we'll it, have time. It did feel like the, the Lions were getting a little bit closer and closer. A little cocky. Yeah. To getting a win. They got, <laughs> the guy, it, Dan Campbell had to have a, a humbling talk with his team. Guys, yeah, I know did. we've been close a few times to winning, actually winning a game. But, but let's not get carried away. Let's not get too full of ourselves with that winless record. Um, right. Shout out to Jimmy Garoppolo yesterday. Going back to his Homecoming. home of uh, Chicago and playing well. Uh, for all of the Jimmy G haters, they are twenty-five and eleven with him as the starter. They are seven and twenty-eight without him. That includes Trey Lance. Well, a lot of those backups stunk. I mean, his, I think the record with him is more significant than the record without him. You lose your starting quarterback, you're going to lose most of the time. But he he has been a productive winning quarterback. He's just missed too many games. Three hundred twenty-two yards passing. He ran. Jimmy Garoppolo ran for two touchdowns yesterday. Shout out uh, for good. a nice performance on that. Uh, and then Matthew Stafford was outstanding against Houston. That's expected. Uh, standing ovation is coming for AJ Brown. We'll get to him in the Tennessee Power Hour uh, tomorrow. Chad, Game Six of the World Series, Atlanta at Houston. We need Max Freed. Uh, I'm going back to the Wii once again uh, to really have a good outing. He's had two bad ones back to back. How about the Braves going with Dylan Lee, who had never started a Major League Baseball game, and going with Tucker Davidson uh, over the weekend in in back to back games? Ian Anderson was terrific Friday night. Hunt, we got a chance to watch a, a lot of that game after our our Buffalo Trace event uh, in Jacksonville, uh, pulling him in the midst of a no hitter. But the Braves holding on and getting it done and then finding a way to come from behind Saturday and get it done. He goes back to Houston now. I know Braves fans are nervous, but it is set up even after the odd decision to start these two guys have no experience. It's now set up where this is your best shot. There is no Charlie Morton. It would have been nice to have Charlie Morton starting that game last night, which would have been his game. But you got your two best starters left. It's Max Freed, it's Ian Anderson. And they didn't use their bullpen much last night. And their bullpen is fresh and ready to go in Houston for, I mean, all opportunity, all options are on the table from a pitching staff standpoint based on what they have. Yes, it'd be nice to go into a time machine and have Mike Soroka not out this year. Yes, it'd be nice to not have Charlie Morton take a line drive off the shin and break his leg. But the Braves are now set up in the best spot they can possibly be in with these two guys. Just, just one thought on the no-hitter. And we talk a lot about wanting there to be some potential for gray and not everything being black or white. I saw so much Twitter debate and then heard some analyst debate. Well, you take a win in the World Series over a no-hitter. Well, of course you would. Uh, how about both? You know, the idea that you could have both does exist. I also, I think part of that move though was to not throw Ian Anderson too long because they knew it was going to be relatively short rest. He's coming back. I know, but nobody seemed to allow for that in the conversation. It was like an either or choice. Nobody was allowing for the potential that you could go with him longer and and see. That's all I wanted was some consideration of the idea that you might stretch it a bit longer. I I, I wouldn't have pulled him. Because I'm just too conventional in my thinking that I'm not pulling my starter when he's he's not giving up a hit and he's got a shutout going. But 
This is baseball now. Yeah, I know. It's all about the analytics of the matchup and keeping guys Third rested and getting enough guy and all that. Just a bizarre game four and five, though, from the approach. They yes. got game three, and the approach was, well, we're going to throw Dylan Lee, who's thrown four innings for us. We've seen him throw. That, it was just bizarre. Even Smoltz, listening to the broadcast on Fox, he's, he's like, what is – I have no idea – what the line of thinking here is throwing this guy out there? It's just you're begging for him to get his first out. And Tucker Davidson had five same. five career major got, league baseball starts, but they got game four, so that they took the same approach to game Again. five. Yeah, it's it's all bonus. They're playing with house money yeah. at that point. Was the approach? Here's what I did not like about the game last night. AJ Minter's got to throw a strike when the guy clearly doesn't want to swing the bat. Yes. And John Smoltz said as much. And to walk the guy on five pitches was awful. Atlanta, though, they've set themselves up. They need one win. To bring the championship home to Atlanta, we'll preview game six tomorrow. We review yesterday's Titans victory in Indy and look ahead for life without Derrick Henry on the roster next on Outkick 360.